stand-up historian. Those who tell stories rule society. Hello and welcome to Stand Up Historian. My name is Kurosh and I bring this to you from Seattle, Washington. This is another episode of Tuesdays with uh, Vic. In this episode, we talked about many, many fascinating subjects, including uh, the Ark of Covenant, Knight Templars, Tables of Testimony, Sphinx, Holy Grail, uh, Gnosticism, Jesus, and more. And I hope you enjoy these conversations we have, which are all based on a book by Chris Thomas. And the book is uh, Project Human Extinction. As we go through the book, Vic reads the book, we discuss different subjects. And along the way, so many other fascinating and interesting talks happens. Thank you very much for listening. And also, I remind you to visit my website at standuphistorian.com. Submit your questions and your comments. And if an answer or reply is required, I will make sure to uh, reply back to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Hello, Vic. How are you? Good evening, dear. Good. How are you? Doing very well. Doing great. I'm glad you're back, and as we promised, you are going to share more of the book of Project Human Extinction with us. Yes, uh, the last time we spoke, I decided I was going to jump into Chapter 2 after having my feet all over Chapter 4 and my feet all over Chapter 6, and now we are backing up to Chapter 2. And apologies to everyone, too, because it seems to be zigzagging through the book, but... Um, I'm sure that's going to lead to more questions, which we can answer in, in uh, upcoming podcasts. No issues there. But hopefully, as people follow along, they can put informational intersections together and go, aha, I've heard this before, and this matches this, and that matches that. And hopefully, it will all make sense in, in due time. Yes. And not to mention, we also have many, many other books to go through, too. <laughs> like I said, we could exactly. be talking to the podcast mm -hmm. for the next five years. So, let's get into some words here in Chapter 2. As I stated in the last podcast, Chapter 2's title is called Dissemination and Opposition. And it is page 40. And it's quite a lengthy, it's quite a lengthy chapter. Okay. It goes from page 40 until page 74. So, we may not even be able to get through the whole thing, but I will certainly try to give as much information as possible because it's pretty fascinating. All right. For all you PHE lovers and dying for more information, <laughs> here we go. All right. Get comfortable, Karash. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. All right. It can be seen from the first chapter how the energetic structure of this universe is that of free choice to all beings. This is the fundamental law of this universe, one that may not be broken by any being. We can also see that life does have its purpose by the exploration of the human plan. By completing this plan, each of us has the potential to reintegrate the whole of the soul into the physical body. To become, for the first time in 7,000 years, a complete human being as, after all, the earth currently considers us to be subhuman. The door through, the door though, can only be opened by those who are prepared to live by this basic law in a state of completeness and harmony with all living things. This does not mean giving up all aspects of life to become a hermit, <laughs> but to acknowledge the right of all souls to free determination without hindrance. When, not if, humanity reaches this stage, the knowledge contained within the higher aspect of the soul becomes available, and we will be more able to access the other realms of reality. For most of us, we are, until then, limited by our five senses. We perceive the world in terms of what we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. 
when we become integrated with our higher aspects, all of our senses will return to us, and these five senses will seem like single notes in the symphony that is true perception. The big question here, though, is where are those teachings? It is all very well for them to be quoted in this text, but if these statements are indeed true and are so fundamental to the human race, why are they not more widely available? Indeed, it would be even more reasonable to ask why they have not been a central teaching throughout the schools everywhere across the world. The answer is that there have been many attempts to pass down this information, or at least a version of it, but it has met with much resistance throughout the ages. In this lies the beginning of the conspiracy, and it is where we will start our journey of understanding some of the forces involved in preventing mankind from fulfilling its potential. In the rest of this chapter, we will take a look at those who have attempted to pass on these teachings, as well as those who have taken steps to prevent this from taking place. It is easy to be skeptical about this idea of conspiracy, the intention of which is to hide away or to distort information to give a misleading view of world events. So here is an example of how this can, can be done. The illustration is taken from a book called The Message of the Engraved Stones of Inca, or Ica, Ica. There's no mm -hmm. N in there, it's A-C-A. And on the flip, flip side, there is a picture of an illustration and the, the illustration um, is 12,500 years old. Wow. And the picture, the picture describes the use of telescopes. So there are figures on this illustration 12,500 years ago that are using telescopes. Looking through a telescope, looking at the space? Yep. I sure asked because maybe it's a microscope. Just kidding. So it's a telescope. <laughs> well, that, well, if that's the case, they've got the microscope pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, the illustration of the two men viewing the night sky by telescope is from the Ica or Ica River near the Nazca Plain in South America. The image is carved into stones called. Andesites, I guess that's how it's pronounced, A-N-D-E-S-I-T-E-S, -E -E andesites, which are stones as hard as quartz. There are several thousand of these stones, all depicting life in that area of South America. The stones, snapshots of life, depict humans living next to dinosaurs, and many dinosaur and human bones have been found together in the area. The stones have been dated as being not less than 12,500 years old, meaning they are almost certainly much, much older. Needless to say, the stones have not been accepted by archaeological mainstream. The stones were being investigated by Javier Daqua Cabrera of Lima. Oh, I've just bit, butchered his name, sorry. <laughs> Cabrera, yeah, let's just say Javier Cabrera of Lima, okay. <laughs> until his death in 1991. He also linked the stones with the Pleiadian star system. Dr. Cabrera's book has, in fact, been banned by the USA. We all know that the telescope was invented in 1608 in the Netherlands, yet here is a clear illustration showing the use of telescopes at least 12,500 years ago. And he puts at least in parentheses. Okay, I raised my hand. Okay. You can't see. Yes! <laughs> yes, yes. So, what would you like according, to to, according to mainstream science and archaeology, dinosaurs, they disappeared 60 million years ago as a result of an asteroid or something hit the earth and kill them off. And they say that the science says, no, there is no humans and dinosaurs living at the same time. That's that's what the science says. But there are, like you said, in, in the book says, this is in South America, right? Mm -hmm. Also in Asia, there are pictures of engraves that shows humans and dinosaurs together. The problem is, you cannot carbon date stone. Hmm. So if all, all these 
numbers they say these are not accurate. And I love the way that Chris laid this out and, and talked about, they call it conspiracy, then you see all these things. How could they dismiss the, these evidences, the science or archaeology, and they say, no, we don't enter this into our catalog of accepted, uh, I, I don't know, artifacts. They just say I, it, huh? They control the narrative. Is that what it is? I sort of liken it to being the same frame of mind as those that used to chain to chain the Catholic Bible to the pulpit. Mm-hmm. They want to be the only arbiters of truth and arbiters of knowledge, and anything that goes outside of what they say is supposed to be the truth. They don't want to hear it, or they try to kill you, or they. Um, Twisted up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, th- this kind of behavior is even taking place now, just like with the, this pandemic mm-hmm. nonsense. All of these doctors started stepping forward, going, "Yeah, well, uh, hold on, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with ivermectin. There's nothing wrong with hydroxychloroquine. This is a flu bug. Hello, we can do this. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be fine." And they were all dismissed, and they were marginalized all over social media. And some of them were attacked. Some of them have been killed. So. This seems to be a frame of mind that has more to do with control than it does actual getting to the truth. Yeah, it's more of a religion and it has its own priests. Like Fauci is a priest, if not a prophet, for the the new religion of scientism. I'm quite sure that man rolls out of bed every day and looks at himself in the mirror and thinks he's a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, I think he does that. Yeah, he removes his... Custom, and he he sees his real face in the mirror, with the little horns and red face <laughs> and, <laughs> and pointy tail. Oh, he's got a pointy tail. That's right, exactly right. But in regards to the the dinosaurs, yes, most of the dinosaurs were wiped out um, when you had the the planet that was in between Earth and Venus explode. Uh, that was a big fat mass. And it ripped off her atmosphere and destroyed most of the dinosaurs, but not all of them were killed. Because once everything settled back down, one of the things that Earth did is she let the dinosaurs and the human beings coexist. Well, not human beings, but I mean, it's listed in the book as mammals. She let dinosaurs and mammals coexist just to see which was the better body type and who would evolve faster. And it turns out the mammals won that race. But not all of the dinosaurs died. I mean, everybody looks at birds. We still have birds. We still got alligators. Exactly. We've got sturgeon sturgeon that can be gigantic. So it's not like everything from that time period was completely wiped out. Most of it was. So the the fact that they're they're listing here that there were humans and dinosaurs side by side. Well, yeah, at one time they were some of them were still here. And it's it's really come. It really comes down to Mother Earth. Because Mother Earth is the one that works with the NGC 584 in determining what she wants to be on her surface. And if something is not viable, it disappears. Now, yes, there is human intervention, and there have been species of animals that have been wiped out because of of human intervention and human cruelty and things like that. But you have to understand Mother Earth is in control of her own surface. And that means that if there is any type of animal that she wants, any critter, any animal, anything that she desires to be on her surface, she will bring it forth with the assistance of the NGC 584. If something is not viable, she'll remove it and possibly bring it back at a later time. I see reports in um, news outlets all the time where such and such and so forth was discovered and thought extinct thousands of years ago. Hmm. Excellent point. Yes, but they find... A couple of those things, yes. It happens all the time. They see them. Yeah. Oh. Even even in case of Tasmanian, what is it, that Tasmanian devil, what they call that creature? It like, seems like a uh, cross between a tiger and a wolf in uh, Tasmania, Australia. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they say there are sightings of that. Years ago they said, no, it's extinct, but now it's there. They, there are sightings. You're right. 
one of the interesting things that I remember um, Chris Thomas talking about as far as um, creatures being here on the planet, sometimes Mother Earth gets a deposit, not necessarily something that she works with the NGC 584 to create herself on her on her surface, but sometimes she gets deposits because in one of Chris Thomas's phone interviews, he made a comment about a comet coming by and seeding the planet with a type of crab. And we have crabs on this planet that are self-aware that happen to hitch a ride on a comet and land on planet earth. Didn't mother earth invite them? Yeah, did Mother Earth invite them, or did they decide they want to be here? But there are crabs here that are self-aware. I heard something similar about octopus. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes when people are always talking about comets, oh my God, is it going to hurt the, hurt the Earth, or is it going to slam into it? Is something terrible going to happen? Is it doomsday? And you got movies that are coming out of Hollywood about things mm-hmm. like that. Of course, we've already covered uh, the, the crash in Tungu- Tunguska, which was yeah. a, um, a meteorite or a meteor where um, her cannons, the, the generators that she's got around the planet, actually zapped that thing to make sure that it was small enough and didn't do but just so much damage. But a lot of the times, you've got um, meteor showers and you've got comets coming by. Sometimes something hops the ride on one of those comets and jumps off and prol- pro- proliferates on the earth. It mothers Mother Earth's maybe she. It's a delivery system. It's Amazon Prime yes. delivering new. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon right. Prime comets. Don't give yeah. him any ideas. Oh Here's God, the Amazon delivery Pro- for Mother Earth. Yeah. I can see Amazon now stepping forward going, yes, we're going to get Elon Musk to deliver a payload of Amazon books to Mars or some something crazy. Who knows? <laughs> Sorry, I just I went up. I just no. went high and left on that one. <laughs> These people, they would say anything. Yeah, they would. But the idea that asteroids, meteorites, and all these things, they deliver something to Earth. We don't know. It's not some. It, it's not even an idea that science says. Oh no, this is crazy. There is nothing in there. They even can't say that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we know that creatures on Earth, Mother Earth decides. I want to keep them. They continue or no? Stop it. It's not time for this creature. They come back in another time. And meanwhile. We as observers, we look at it and we say, oh, such and such gecko is uh, disappeared. We can't find any of them extinct. And then years later, we say, hey, we found a couple of those things. They return. So it's Earth that controls that. That's Mother Earth. That's Mother Earth working with the NGC 584 or whoever it is that's tossing the comets away, dropping off crabs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, this, this is her. This is her way of doing things. This is what she wants on her surface. In fact, at one time when all of the other planets in our solar system had life on them, they developed life that actually showed their personality. There is one other place here in the universe, in the universe, getting ahead of myself. There is one other place here in our solar system where there is life. I mean, all of the other planets, they're kind of sort of in the process of waking up. But there was one other moon that when the massive explosions took place and ripped off all the atmospheres and killed all the life in the solar system, there was one other moon that survived just like the ancient humans that survived on on Mother Earth. And that is Jupiter's moon, Ganymede. Ganymede's got Mm -hmm. life on it. There there are critters on Ganymede that are kind of sort of dolphin-like and quite intelligent and are literally waiting for the rest of us to wake up. And if you remember the the movie 2001 in a Space Odyssey Mm -hmm. and also 2010, a follow-up to that, Mm -hmm. they talk about this moon and a message comes to them, hey, never get close to this. This is the forbidden planet for you when humans are trying to 
go to different planets and extract minerals or whatever they were doing. They said, this is the forbidden planet. Don't get close to this moon. It was very interesting that you mentioned. That is, that is interesting because yeah. that's that's the one planet Ganymede that they're waiting for us to wake up and say, hey, I know wow. that this is probably shocking to a lot of listeners, but there were there were two planets or well it's a moon it's not really a planet but but there were two globes that that survived the the explosion of the the two planets almost destroying the whole solar system mm-hmm. yeah okay. okay moving right along now that we've deviated and i've gone high and to the <laughs> left again Okay, another example would be where archaeologists insist that Celtic societies were ignorant savages and civilization was only brought to the West by the Romans and the Greeks. However, there is a huge body of evidence showing very clearly that the Celtic peoples of Northern Europe, particularly in Northern Scotland, were investigating and working with sophisticated geometry 2,000 years before the Greeks. There is a huge list of archaeological findings of this nature, which are never made public because it would upset a very careful cover-up of our true past. As you can see, there are very major discoveries and findings which are either deliberately hidden from public knowledge or if the archaeologist who found the material artifact manages to make their findings public, they are subjected to a massive campaign of ridicule in order to bury the findings. In addition to the British Archaeological Society, the governing body for all archaeological studies in Britain has it written into their charter of incorporation that they will not publish any material that contradicts the Bible. There's your first problem right there. Can you read that one more time, please? Sure. You want the whole paragraph? Yeah, no, just the last part. The last sentence. They will not in publish it, anything that goes against the Bible? In addition, the British Archaeological Society, the governing body for all archaeological studies in Britain, has it written into their charter of incorporation that they will not publish any material which contradicts the Bible. In other words, it's in their bylaws when they establish Even the today. British Archaeological Society. Yes. Even to this day. Very interesting. Okay. It's in their bylaws. Yep. In their bylaws. Yeah. Here then are just two small examples of the cover-up perpetrated by those in the archaeological field. But, but the conspiracy goes much wider. All in all, we are only fed information which maintains a worldview which has been put together to mislead and to keep many aspects of our history totally hidden. Not only hidden, but deliberately falsified to show a past we never had. But why? What could possibly be gained from keeping our true potential from us? The answer is control. We were just talking about that earlier. Yes. If we were to become aware of our true heritage and the potential which resides within each of us, then we would surely reject current authority and choose instead to complete the journey of integrating with our higher aspects. Our real history is very different to the one that is taught in our schools. Thank I hope you. everybody listens to that. Mm-hmm. What's being taught in the schools is garbage. Pull your kids out. That's all you can do. Please Save do. them, pull them out. The Be a good parent. Thing. Be a good parent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Be a good parent. Get them away from those freaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, The next heading is the history of secret teachings. Following the destruction of Atlantis, those who still chose to be part of this human experiment returned to Earth and colonized six regions of the planet. These regions were South America, Mesopotamia, the region around Sumeria, Egypt, a region that included Britain, Ireland, and northern France, Tibet, and southern Greece. This region of Greece no longer exists as subsequent volcanic activity destroyed the region, leaving scattered islands, and that's covered in uh, the book, The Fool's First Steps. Each region began their own investigations into how life could be lived and how best to interact with the Earth herself. 
They also began to try to understand the reasons for the loss of the higher brain functions. One other peculiarity at this time was that there were no children. A human being is defined within the Akashic for this early stage of our development as being someone of human form with the whole of the soul within the physical body. At the time of Atlantis and up until about 12,000 years ago, the method of becoming human was for a soul to arrive on earth, copy the human etheric template, and wrap the soul with the earth, earth's energy patterns to create a physical body. This is a process known as adult birth. This is probably the origin of the Adam and Eve story in the Bible. Interesting. Adult birth. Because you have an adult showing up. Right? Yeah, we yeah. we come to the, the surface of the planet. Um, yeah. Non-human soul, you know, we're, we're non-physical souls uh, arrive on Earth and we take on the etheric template that has been provided for us. We make a copy of it and wrap the soul in the Earth's energy patterns. Not as a baby, but as an no. adult. Fully no, we arrive here. Up. Yeah. We arrive here as non-physical souls and then wrap ourselves in the energy using the etheric template. Mm -hmm. Okay. We did not work out the process for bringing forth children until we had learned how to divide the soul into its higher and physical functions. Childbirth is achieved by attaching a very small amount of the consciousness to the solely developing fetus at about 16 days following conception. The level of consciousness is then gradually added to added to as the fetus develops through birth to puberty when the last piece of consciousness enters the body that's why teenagers go nuts because that's the last part of the one quarter mm -hmm. of the soul that finally enters the body and the teenagers go nuts let's see that's a beautiful description of birth and growth and different uh crises that we go through as humans throughout our life teenagers <laughs> teenagers and explains why very interesting well the quarter of the soul that runs the body there's so little of it that's required to run a baby or a child or a small child and then as we reach puberty the the body gets bigger and stronger and it can hold the rest of the energy of the the quarter soul that runs the body and it's it's kind of almost like a data dump in a way, because one day they're a small child and they're loving on mom, loving on mama, and then the next day they're 13 years old and they're like, "Leave me alone!" Yes, <laughs> with it's all like their pimples. Somebody, <laughs> yes, they got pimples, and it's like somebody flipped a light switch and they're like, "Mom, leave me alone! I don't want to talk." Yeah. You know? <laughs> Enter at your own risk. Yeah. Exactly. And this goes on to say. Uh, the fetus develops through birth to puberty when the last piece of consciousness enters, enters the body that is to be the download for the particular lifetime. That is to be downloaded for that particular lifetime. We did not understand or fully explore this process during the time of Atlantis, so there were no children. So, no, there were no kids on Atlantis. I don't know if anybody has ever thought that there were children on Atlantis. There weren't any. No children. None. No birth, no children. No. So the population had no growth rate at all, or they just had this, uh, what did you call it, adult birth? It was adult birth, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Was, it was souls visiting Atlantis. I mean, there were uh, non-physical souls and semi-physical souls. Semi-physical races were, were already there. But, uh, yes, yeah, non-physical souls uh, coming down to the planet and enjoying Atlantis and what it's like to be physical because non-physical souls don't, they, they're just pure soul energy in the shape. It's a human shape, but they're just pure soul energy. They can't, they can't taste anything. They can't smell anything. They mm -hmm. can't touch anything. Or like Chris Thomas says in one of the phone conversations, they don't know what it's like to touch a piece of wood. So it's, it's very alluring to come down here and take on the, an etheric template in the early days to be physical, to be able to feel things, to feel sunlight on your face, to feel wind exactly. in your hair, to feel your feet on dirt. Mm -hmm. was and was there a ex the distinction of male and female or no? No, there were no sexes either. Okay. 
by about 18,000 years ago, we realized we were experiencing some serious problems with the erosion of our higher functions and decided to build structures which could be used to enhance and recreate the functions being lost. At a parallel time, both South America and Egypt began designing and building pyramid structures. The pyramid form was decided upon as the geometric shape of the structure as capable of generating its own internal energy patterns as well as enhancing any other energies that were worked with. This is the age this is the true age of the pyramids in both South America and Egypt, 18,000 years old. Just to add further confusion to accepted dates, according to the Akashic, the Sphinx was built as a marker to the entrance of the huge network of underground tunnels under the Giza Plateau that were constructed at the end of Atlantis to shelter those who chose to remain on, on Earth to help undo the damage done by destroying the continent. The face of the Sphinx was also originally that of a lion to match its body. This entrance marker being built around 60,000 years ago, at least this date allows for the proper time frame for the water erosion to the top of the Sphinx. The way in which the Egyptian pyramids were used was this. If you felt as though you were experiencing a loss of functions, you entered the so-called king's chamber, formed sounds of specific frequencies. As these frequencies resonated with the form and structure of the chamber, it set up specific resonances within the so-called air vents above. The resulting combination of frequencies restructured the body's energy patterns and reconstructed the higher aspects of the soul within the body. The South American pyramids worked in similar ways. Other pyramids were built by other groups. Some have survived while others have not. In Britain, the situation was a little different, and we will explore that later. He's, he's referring to Stonehenge. Oh, yeah. In order to make use of the pyramids, specific sound sequences needed to be used in order to generate the required resonance. As a way of teaching those who needed assistance, a written form of memory was created. These are hieroglyphs, both South American and Egyptian forms. These memory enhancers were not originally meant to be read as words in a book, but were designed to trigger a psychic response. In other words, the pupil psychically requested the imprinted hier hieroglyph yeah, mm -hmm. to release the information it contained. These are the real keys of Enoch. So I want everybody to digest that for a moment. Hieroglyphs were not meant to be read like words. They were meant to be psychically understood. It's a trigger. Okay. And, and the interesting thing is the hieroglyphs in Egypt and hieroglyphs in um, South America, they're the same. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And there, there are theories that they they traveled from Egypt to South America. Well, well there was movement. Up. Explains that, yeah. Yeah, there there was movement all over the planet anyway. But there's going to be similarities just because of we were all trying to do the same thing. Yes. Okay. Like I said, these are the real keys of Enoch. Each key is a sound sequence or a specific note, which is not a whole lot different from somebody sitting at a keyboard and looking at a bunch of notes on a piece of paper and then playing the keyboard. It's very similar. In later times, the written forms of hieroglyphs included symbols that were cartouched. These cartouched hieroglyphs were not necessarily the names of pharaohs, but were intended to be sung or toned. Now wrap your head around that one. The cartouche hieroglyphs were not necessarily the names of pharaohs, but were intended to be sung or toned. Oh, I find that okay. fascinating. Absolutely. I find that absolutely fascinating. Yes, yes. As time went on, we gradually lost the ability to read on this psychic level, and so human teachers were recruited to teach these pupils. So now we've lost the ability, we're dropping further and further, and we've lost the ability that when we look at those hieroglyphs, we can't get them psychically, and we can't use the tones anymore. In order to maintain continuity, a school 
was set up to teach the teachers. So you've got teachers in a school to teach the teachers. So this is starting to get layers upon layers. Yes. These teachers became known as key keepers. You remember me ta- talking to you about the, uh, the the keepers of the knowledge? This yes. is the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Key keepers, as in the keys of Enoch, and form the basis of the much, much later priesthood. So this is a development that goes further and further on where you have got lost abilities and then reading the hieroglyphs and getting the information psychically and then t- doing tones and doing keys and things like that. And then eventually all of this knowledge drops down to the priesthood. This was the first of that which could be described as secret knowledge. Over the centuries, this knowledge has been lost, and a great number of theories have been forwarded uh, forwarded as the real use to which the pyramids were put. Some more viable than others. Certainly no bodies were ever found in the Giza pyramids, so they cannot be tombs. There was one break-in burial in the lower levels of the central pyramid, but this is acknowledged as being of a much later date than the pyramids, so can be ignored. In Britain, the situation was a little different. Everything is energy. In order to help us work on Atlantis and through the times since, an energy flow was established from the center of our galaxy through the Orion Gate and then onto Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire. This energy supply contains something of the region of seven million dimensions of energy. A dimension can be seen as a as being a collection of energies at compatible frequencies, each dimension containing a range of frequencies higher than the dimension below it, which is much how a radio works. Salisbury Plain was chosen as the energy patterns of the planet's own consciousness energy reach a peak where West Kennet Long Barrow is now located. The position of our main intake from the galaxy is located under that which later became Silbury Hill. The energy intake serves two functions. Firstly, to feed into the ley line energy grid, which was established to originally feed our requirements on Atlantis, and also to provide an energy source to the Earth herself. When Atlantis was destroyed, the ley line grid was rebuilt to cover the whole planet. Silbury Hill is no longer the primary energy intake point on the planet. A new energy point was connected to a point in North Somerset in 1996, and that's also covered in The Journey Home and The Fool's First Steps, his first two books. This new energy has a total energy potential of 53 million dimensions and has installed to help humanity was installed to help humanity through its current process of reintegration because of their proximity to this energy intake the peoples who inhabited britain ireland and northern france managed to maintain their higher brain functions for a longer period than the others on the planet when they did begin to lose these functions the stone circle structures of Averbury and stonehenge were built about 10,000 years ago The way they interconnected was this. You stood in the energy intake at Silbury, then followed the progression of the stones through the avenues and circles of Averbury. Each standing stone and circle was imprinted with a certain level of knowledge. Once you had completed the full cycle of standing stones and circles, you would have regained sufficient knowledge of how to make use of the Stonehenge circles in order to reconstruct your missing higher brain functions. Both Stonehenge and Averbury were constructed in exactly the same way as the South American and Egyptian pyramids by psychic means. However, rough stone was not the only medium that was information that information was stored in. On Atlantis, a great many people developed immense skill in creating and tuning crystals. These were used for virtually any use that required any energy source, almost in the same way as we would use electricity. When it came to recording the knowledge accumulated of the times before we needed to make use of this soul restructuring structures, such as the pyramids, that information was recorded within crystals. These are very interesting information. It's probably going to freak some people out too. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting, yeah. No, I'm sure everybody will ask for more. (laughs) Shall I continue? 
please. There were two different types of crystal used for the information retaining purposes. In South America, the group there decided to use naturally occurring crystals. Thirteen of these information recording crystals were made. These are the well-known crystal skulls. So yes, folks, they do exist. Thirteen of them, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. The way these were fashioned was again by psychic means. The one creating the skull first psychically scanned the crystal to ensure that there were no major internal flaws. Next, the maker generated an image of the human skull within their mind and psychically embedded the image into the center of the crystal. By, at, by holding the mental image firmly in place, the surrounding excess crystal could be psychically melted away. In other words, no physical tools were ever used to create these original recording crystal skulls. The genuine and original skulls can be identified by the fact that the skull is an exact replication of a human skull with a separate lower jaw. The later imitation ones have a fixed jaw in the skull. Once Sorry the to interrupt were... you. The original oh, no. one had a moving lower jaw. Yeah, it says genuine and original skulls can be identified by the fact that the skull is an exact replication of a human skull with a separate lower jaw. Interesting. So in other words, it, it's yeah. not one piece. It has the separate jaw because it, the, the ones, those that um, psychically built them with, through the crystals imagined an actual skull with a, you know, a pivoting, yeah, yeah. pivoting jawbone. What was the reason to make it look like a skull, human skull? What's the, what's the significance of that? It's they hold information why they decided to do a human skull and and as opposed to uh, a crystal flower or something. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But I okay. mean, the crystals were meant to hold information. I am assuming that the reason they used the shape of the skull is because that's was a, you know, a human feature. Exactly. I, that's I, what I was thinking. It signifies the human feature. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, they could just as easily have made crystal flowers and filled them with information if they wanted to. I'm not entirely sure about mm -hmm. that, but that would be my guess. In Egypt, those who recorded information decided to make use of their remembered skills from Atlantis and built a new crystal. This crystal is shaped like a double terminated quartz and is colored green. This crystal contains the same amount of information as the crystal skulls and is most often remembered by the name of the tables of testimony. This green crystal was stored in one of the chambers formed under the Sphinx. Around the tables of testimony, there also grew those who retained the knowledge of how to read and extract the information the crystal contained. Again, this was by psychic means. Essentially, there were two ways in which the knowledge could be accessed. The first was to psychically project the thought into the tables, wishing to explore the information the crystal contained. In this way, any and all of the information could be accessed. The second means of exploration was to psychically project the thought of a specific question about a specific subject. The reply would come to the questioner as a series of mental images which would embed themselves into the questioner's memory, thereby ensuring that the questioner had full knowledge of the answer, which is not unlike how um, the, the Akashic works. These tables of testimony have played a central role in the formation of secret societies that were brought into being to protect, but also to disseminate the information the crystal contained. The first of these secret orders were the priesthood surrounding the Egyptian pharaoh. It is some of the information contained within the tables which gave the Egyptians their religious structure based on their view of cosmology. However, as with all religions, the information was passed down from the priests in a more mystical form using analogous symbolism in teaching stories. It was only the heads of the priesthood and the pharaoh who actually knew the real truth. This is where the trouble started. Talking about that with the, the priests using a mystical form of using analogous symbolism and disseminating the information, it was the priesthood and the pharaohs who actually knew the real truth. So you've got pharaohs and priests in Egyptians 
that are be doing the beginnings of twisting the information or withholding information because apparently they seem to think that maybe the masses didn't need to know everything and or it was back to the control of we've got more information that's what than i was thinking control, control yeah mass. yeah so or, this, or this maybe the they, they're too dumb to understand that yeah so this was the beginning of it as we mm -hmm. fell further and further and further and lost more and more knowledge and had fewer and few people that could read things and understand things psychically that's when the priesthood and the pharaohs took over and it went downhill from there while the crystal skulls remain firmly and safely under the protection of their guardians that's why you'll never find them a little more is known about the moment the movements of the tables of testimony in order to protect the tables, a box was built. The Ark of the Covenant, which was capable of generating uh -huh. an energy charge of sufficient power to kill any person who came into contact with it. The protection of the Ark became the responsibility of the priesthood of Levi, who wore protective clothing to shield themselves from the Ark's lethal energies. The Interestingly enough, sorry to interrupt you, it was made of gold gold-plated shields that they were even today the head rabbi of uh, jerusalem mm -hmm. if you look at him what he's wearing it's the same thing wow yeah with gems and you he, it looks like he's wearing a shield interesting yeah and it says the construction of the ark is well described in the biblical book of exodus mm-hmm when the Pharaoh Akhenaten rebelled against the priesthood of Egypt intent upon establishing a new religion based upon a single omnipotent God, he was effectively expelled from Egypt. He took his followers who knew him by the name, which translate from ancient Egyptian as true and pronounced Moses to a promised land. With them, they carried the ark containing the tables. So Akhenaten was Moses. He was Moses. It gets even more interesting, too. Um, there's a lot more information regarding Moses and Akhenaten and where he came from, and that, that'll be in, in later podcasts. That'll, okay, that'll definitely. Probably be a, that'll probably yeah. be a bomb, too. <laughs> yes, I love, to, I love to hear that. I love to hear that part. Because there is also a character called Tot Moses in Egypt. There is a tomb of Tot Moses. And they say... That's Moses. He actually was the brother of the Pharaoh. But now you, Chris says, Akhenaten, yeah. It's a he. I can say he. You can't say he. <laughs> I, I, I clear my throat <laughs> enough as it is. <laughs> I'm, con I'm constantly clearing my throat anyway. <clears throat> so he was Moses. So are you familiar with the story of Sinyoe? No. Senior, the, the Egyptian. He was an Egyptian uh, doctor in his time, and he treated pharaohs, and he performed brain surgeries. Fascinating story. I, I strongly recommend. So they say these are real stories that he wrote of his life. And he talks about Akhenaten and Atun and Amun and confrontation that happened between the two gods and uh, two religions at the time in Egypt while Akhenaten was in charge, was the pharaoh, the followers of Amun, which the word Amen, when we, you know, after a prayer we say Amen, mm -hmm. actually we call to that god Amun. Hmm. So a story goes to uh, tell the same thing that you just mentioned in, in form of a story. Fascinating story, Sinua the Egyptian by uh, Micah Waltery. It's, a, it's okay. a great book that chronicles everything that happened during that time until the death of Atun, Akhenaten. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, I just wanted to interject that. Oh, no, that sounds very interesting. That's good. Okay, the next the next bit here is in parentheses, which I am assuming is being the information that's being pulled out. Mm, 
because at the very end of this, it says with them, they carried the ark containing the tables talking about the, um, the Levi, the priesthood of the Levi that had the protection. Today's church approved writings state that the tablets of Moses bore the Ten Commandments etched into stone by God himself. Yet the substance of those well-known decrees of moral discipline hardly constituted any sort of secret. In fact, the tables sought by the Knights Templar were uniquely important, for they bore far more than familiar commandments inscribed on them. In fact, the tables sought by the Knights Templar were uniquely important, for they bore far more than the familiar commandments. Inscribed on them were the tables of testimony, the cosmic equation, the divine law of number, measure, and weight. The mystical art of reading the inscriptions was achieved by the cryptic system of the Kabbalah. That's spelled Q-A-B-A-L-A. Kabbalah, yeah. Kabbalah, Kabbalah. The Ten Commandments were and are written, spoken, discussed, and taught. They have never been a secret to anyone, unlike the tables of testimony. These precious tabulations were placed in the self-protective ark to be guarded by the Levites. I guess that's short for the Levites. Following the ark's dramatic transportation across Jordan and through Palestine, in parentheses, Joshua and this is number one Samuel. Mm -hmm. It was taken to Sion, Jerusalem in parentheses, by David. His son, King Solomon, had the temple built by the master mason Hiram Abif. Hiram Abif, yeah. Hiram Abif, yeah. And the ark was lodged in the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. Access was forbidden except for ritual inspection by the high priest alone once a year. Undoubtedly, the ark and the tables were the prized possession of Jerusalem. But when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed the temple, in parentheses, in around eight, in around 586 BC, neither was listed in the schedule of plunder. At that time, the high priest of Jerusalem was Hilkiah. Yeah, Hilkiah. Yeah, Hilkiah. I'm just wondering if I'm butcher, butchering the no, word. No. Sorry. No. Whose son was Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah one one, who was also the captain of the temple guard. Prior to Nebuchadnezzar's invasion, Hilkiah instructed Jeremiah to have his men secrete the temple treasures in the stables beneath, including the Ark of the Covenant. This was duly done with the guard forming an elite order of the temple so as to retain the record of the sacred hoard. Hence, when St. Bernard of de Payens established their order more than 1,500 years later, their appointed knights knew exactly what they were seeking and where. And that's the end of the quote. As it goes on, in fact, there is a little more to it than this. Otherwise, it is likely the treasure would have been quickly discovered. The reason why the ark was not discovered under the Jerusalem temple by Nebuchadnezzar's searchers was because it was hidden in a time vault. The knowledge of how to build such vaults was contained within the tables of testimony and was well understood by the Knights Templar. They were able to manipulate energy, which is why they have incorrectly been labeled Satanists by some modern-day conspiracy writers, although it was, in fact, the Catholic Church who originally labeled the Knights Templar Satanists in the 1300s when the Church tried to wrest power from them. This particular time vault had a time-slip sequence of two seconds. Although two seconds does not sound like very much, it is sufficient to remove something out of the current time, not only rendering it invisible, but also non-physical. This is also the origin of the name Knights Templar. Whilst they were involved in the Temple of Solomon, the real origin of their name stems from the Latin word for time, tempus, yes. as the Knights, the Knights had the knowledge of how time vaults were built. The tables of testimony contain a great deal of information. Not only were the details and intentions of the human plan recorded there, but also the sum of what could be described as scientific knowledge from both Sumeria and Egypt, as well as the semi-physical races who had been involved in earth and human development. This knowledge was very far-reaching in its scope in that it encompassed the Kabbalah, Egyptian therapeutate, 
keys of Enoch and Gnosticism. In other words, the total sum of human knowledge, which became the basis for all secret societies in future years. This was why the tables had to be so heavily protected. This knowledge could not be lost to mankind or the whole human experiment would become pointless and everything would have to start again. With the removal of the Ark and tables from Egypt by Moses, Akhenaten, the protection of the Ark was passed down through those who had sufficient knowledge to be able to protect it. In this way, the Saul, David, and Solomon dynasty became the holy bloodline, and the descendants of this bloodline would become initiates in the knowledge of the tables. With this knowledge locked away from those who could understand it and disseminate it, whilst Jerusalem was under the control of Nebuchadnezzar and those who followed, 600 years of teaching this knowledge was lost, and the potential completion of the human plan looked in danger. By 6 BC, a child was born which brought together several of the holy bloodlines. The child was known as Jesus the Christ. Christos is a Greek word meaning king. This is the true reality of Jesus' life and his purpose, the unification of the old kingdom of David and the release of the information contained within the tables of testimony. We are not going to enter into a full expose of how almost everything about Jesus' life has been distorted or invented, but it is sufficient to say that very little of the New Testament accords with the Akashic. Jesus was a Nazarite. This does not mean that he was born in Nazareth, but was a member of a particular group of people who understood what the tables contained and were attempting to bring this information to light. The main center of Nazarite activity was around the Dead Sea at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Part of the Nazarite community dedicated their lives to healing, following the Egyptian therapeutic teachings, and called themselves Essenes. Jesus was crowned king, but was not allowed to function in that capacity because of the Roman occupation of his country. One ambition of Jesus was fulfilled, however, and that was to become a rabbi. Where the Bible speaks of Jesus ascending to heaven to live at God's right hand, the expression actually means that he entered the temple as an initiate and became a rabbi. In order to, to, fit, to fulfill part of his role of king, he married Mary Magdalene to bring together two royal bloodlines. Jesus and Mary also went on to have three children together, one daughter and two sons. And this is in parentheses. This is in uh, quotations. As we have seen, Mary Magdalene was three months pregnant at the time of the crucifixion. On the 15th of September, A.D. 33, six months after the cru crucifixion, was his, Jesus' 39th official birthday. And in that month, a daughter was born to Mary Magdalene. She was named Tamar, Tamar, a traditional Tamar. Davidic mm -hmm. Tamar, a traditional Davidic family name. In short, the Acts reference means that Jesus, it says in brackets, yielded fruit and out of brackets, increased. That is to say, he had a son. Perhaps not surprisingly, the first son was also named Jesus. Later that year, A.D. 44, Mary gave birth to her second son in Provence, and there is a specific reference to this in the New Testament. The so wait a minute. God, At this time, Jesus was dead. That's what they said, yeah. But she was pregnant? Well, you or am, am I missing <clears throat> something? No, 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 no. This is, this is carrying out. This is where Jesus was crowned king, and he became a rabbi. This is covering just a just a small section because there's a he lot. He wasn't killed. Covers. Let's just put it this way: he was crucified, but he did not die on the cross. He was taken okay. down by his followers. Okay. okay. I know that sounds kind of confusing, but this is a later book, and it doesn't really go into the depth of what Jesus's life was and what all he went through in the earlier book. So this is this is sort of touching on something that would have been in a previous book. That's why it's okay. kind of chopped up. Later that year, A.D. 44, Mary gave birth to her second son in Provence, and there is a specific reference to this in the New Testament. The word of God grew and multiplied. It's Acts 24, no, Acts 12, 24. This son was the important grail child, and he, after his grandfather, was called Joseph. And that's, that's 
I'm not sure where that was pulled from, but that was all in, um, in quotations. Whilst Jesus was studying to become a rabbi, his brother John, also known as Joseph of Arimathea, took on the role of protecting his family as well as spreading the teachings of the tables. John was a metal trader who made many trips outside of Palestine, which could take him as far north as Britain. In the end, around A.D. 36, John took Mary Magdalene to Marseille in southern France. From there, they moved on to the Pyrenees and settled in the town of Carcassonne. I guess I pronounced that correctly. Mm -hmm. Once Jesus had achieved the aim of becoming a rabbi, he traveled to Carcassonne to rejoin his wife and family several times, but eventually died in Palestine in AD 46. The purpose of recounting this information is to show that there is a great deal of information available, which is much more in accord with the Akashic than is written in biblical texts. If you wish to read more of this information, we suggest Bloodline of the Holy Grail by Lawrence Gardner and Jesus the Man by Barbara Thering. I think I'll stop right here. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place. What you read was fascinating. It it's is. So, it, it yeah, really is. and brought to mind Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and the Holy Grail that other guy wrote. So some of this information has been out there, but the details, especially when you talked about the Ark of Covenant and what's in the Ark, one of the questions I always had from my childhood was why people invaded Israel? It's it's not a, you know, a strategically an important place. There is no wealth. There is nothing there. Why all these kingdoms, they, they wanted to go and occupy Jerusalem, especially someone like Nebuchadnezzar runs his army from Mesopotamia all the way to Israel, small nation, to do what? Now it makes sense. Mm -hmm. They were after the tables of testimony. The information. information. Once you you hold the information and other people don't, you control all the power. Isn't that insane? And it's a fact that Germans also, Nazis, they were looking for that. They went to Egypt. They did a lot of digging and uh, archaeological works in Egypt, in Iraq, in in Palestine at the time. Everybody has been looking for this because, like you said, it gives them power and control, mm-hmm. knowledge. I mean, it, which it made a great movie. With, yeah, it made a great movie with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, <laughs> a fantastic movie. It's a great but movie. They actually did go there. It was, not just a sto- it. it was not just the story. Germans are German archaeologists. They spent years in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And after Nebuchadnezzar, when he took the Jews to Babylon, we have the character of Cyrus that comes out, which my name is a correct version of his name. In how we pronounce it in Persian is Kurosh. And Cyrus is the uh, Greek, the same name. So he becomes the king. He defeats the Babylon and he sends the Jews back to Israel, to uh, Jerusalem. And he provides them with all the money they need to rebuild the temple. And uh, But throughout this story, you never see or hear anything about Ark of Covenant. Mm-hmm. You have if, you're in a t- if you're in a t- yeah. if you're in a two second time slip, you're not going to be found unless you know how to get to it. Exactly. Yeah. And two second. This is my last joke. Two second time slip reminded yep. me of Lord of the Ring. Put the ring on. Nobody can see you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. That was that was it. That was probably something that yeah. uh, you know Tolkien was thinking about when he was doing the writings. That he was a religious man. Don't forget that. Yes, he was a Catholic. Yeah. Very interesting. Actually, I'll take it back. It was not a joke. It's very serious. And <laughs> the fact, the other fascinating thing to me was uh, when Chris talks about Knight Templars and their name, it's not coming from a temple. It's, in <laughs> fact, coming from the word for time. Tempest. Tempest. 
fascinating. Vic, thank you so much. It's not easy to read. It's not easy to tolerate me with my all my interruptions. Oh, and, <laughs> you are fun. I like it when you interrupt because you always add more into the conversation and it kind of leads us in another direction sometimes. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Don't, don't ever worry about and, and interrupting. Sharing some of the things that pops up into my head. Thank you very much. We stop at this point. We continue. I had a couple of people asking me, can you guys do this more than once a week? I said, we have. I have to go back to our uh, crew and, and the production team and the directors <laughs> and everybody else. <laughs> To see well, if we can, let's 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 have some meetings with our team. Let's contemplate that. <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute. Are are we gonna are we gonna make this like twice a week? Is that what they're asking? That's the, yeah. Because there's so much information. We discuss something one week, and until the next week, sometimes we answer questions. It's and there is no access to the book, right? So that's true. It it becomes. What they learned, they have to go back. He was specifically telling me that I have to go back and listen when I listen to the next one. If you guys do it, uh, two episodes, at least until you catch up with the most of information, that was just an idea. We'll think about that. We'll have to figure out a schedule if we want to do this uh, twice yeah. a week. And I think you and I be very popular. Too <laughs> special. Exactly. Mm. Okay, we've been talking for a very long time and recording for a very long time. <laughs> I appreciate your patience. Yes. We are, we are chatterboxes. We've had a good conversation <laughs> this evening. Very, very fascinating. Interesting. Very interesting conversations, yes. yes. I look forward to uh, the next edition and see what Chris, and hear what Chris has to say about this thing. Thank mm -hmm. you very much, as usual. Thank you, Vic. Thank and you, dear. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you. And you all have a good night. Have thank a good you. night, dear. Bye-bye.